All right, good morning, church. It is great to be together this morning. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. So as was it already been said, after church this morning, we're having our ministry team fair out in that gallery. And so we thought this would be a wonderful opportunity uh, to hear from God's Word regarding service and what God's Word teaches about that. And so we're going to be taking a quick break from our sermon series through Genesis And we're going to be looking at one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture, uh, the Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the the five loaves of bread and the two fish. So please turn with me to, again, John chapter 6, and we're going to be looking first at the first 15 verses, but then keep your Bibles open because later we're going to jump to verses 25 through 35. But first, John 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes, then seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, two hundred nary worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. The feeding of the 5,000, it is the only miracle of Jesus that is spoken about in all four of the Gospels. I don't know exactly why this is, but I guess part of it is that God really thinks that we need to hear the truth in this story. And I think that one of those reasons is that we're going to see in this story, God calls us to live lives of service. But as we also see in this story, and as we experience in our own lives, serving is not always an easy task, right? And and as as we're taking this Sunday to specifically focus on serving we want the strength and encouragement from God's word this morning. So, so here's, the, here's the main idea of our message this morning. It's that we can serve Jesus with confidence and joy because he is the most powerful and satisfying reality in the universe. We can serve Jesus with confidence and joy because he is the most powerful and satisfying reality in the universe. And we're going to look at this by looking at three points this morning. First, we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. 
Second, we'll look at the meaning of the bread. And then third, we'll look, we'll look at the reason we serve. But first, the feeding of the 5,000. So our story begins in the first few verses with Jesus going up into the hill country with his disciples. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he had been going throughout the cities. He'd been healing the sick, performing miracles. He'd been proclaiming the way of salvation. And this had stirred up a lot of excitement in that area. And so, so Jesus had begun to accumulate this large following of people. And while there were, there were some who, who truly wanted to follow Jesus, uh, mostly there were just many who had heard about these miracles and were interested in seeing what all this excitement was about. And so as it was, there were, there were thousands of people that had followed Jesus out of this city. And these people had been following Jesus for most of the day. And, and as evening came, Jesus realized that none of these people had any food. And so there's this, there's this huge crowd of hungry people who'd forgone food all day in order to hear Jesus and see his miracles. And in verse 5, it says that Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? Now, in other accounts of this story, it says that Jesus looked with compassion upon the crowd. Jesus looks upon this crowd and he, he felt their hunger. He, he understood their needs. He's, he's moved by their situation. And this is the type of person that Jesus is. We, we see this all throughout the New Testament. Jesus sees the needs of people that he loves, people that he is soon going to lay his life down on a cross for, and he's moved with compassion for them. His heart is to provide for them. So, so, he, so he gathers his disciples together, and he says, he says, what is the plan to feed these people? Now, now Jesus asks this question, as the text says, fully aware of what he is going to do. But, but it, it ends up sending the, the disciples scrambling a little bit, because in verse 7, they start pulling all their resources together, and, and all they come up with is it says, 200 denarii and some kids lunch and and this is all that they have to feed these thousands of people this is an impossible task that Jesus is giving to his disciples they have basically no money Uh, all the money they pulled together themselves won't even come close to feeding all these people and also they're on a mountain so there's nowhere to buy food for them anyway. And so all they really have is this one kid who apparently was the only person who had the foresight to bring lunch. And all he has is five loaves and two fish. And, and I love this one little detail in verse 9 where it says that the bread that the boy had brought was barley bread. Now, barley bread back in the day was, it was considered to be the, the poor man's bread. Uh, technically, I guess it was bread, but it was hard. It didn't taste well. Like, nobody really wanted it. It's, it's kind of like gluten-free pizza. Like, <laughs> people who eat it will tell you that it tastes good, but it does not. <laughs> Barley bread was not something that anybody really wanted. Um, but this is what the disciples had to work with. There's this great need in front of them, and they have thousands of people to feed and all they have is a couple of fish and five loaves of bread, and it's not even the good type of bread. The, the need in front of them far outweighed 
their resources. God is calling his disciples to serve, but it feels like an impossible task. And I think this is something that we all can relate to. There are ways that God calls us to serve that causes us to think, how am I possibly going to do this? And maybe we're feeling that way even here this week. Maybe, maybe you're a single mom here. And you know there's this call on your life to care for your children, to protect them, to raise them well. And you're feeling in a particular way the, the weight, the magnitude of that task. And you feel like you just don't have what it takes. Or maybe you, you have a job that, that you hate right now. And God's calling you to be a servant, to be humble, to be loving towards those who are difficult to work with to be a testimony of the love of Christ at your workplace. But you're feeling like you just don't know how you're gonna spend even one more day at that office. Or maybe God is calling you to find a way to serve in the church, but you feel like you don't have the energy, or you feel like you are not the type of person that has anything to offer. You don't feel like you're the type of person who can make a difference in people's lives. Well, this is how the disciples were feeling. There's this, this obvious need in front of them, and, and they want to be a part of meeting that need, but they really don't have the means to do so. There's this one kid who has five loaves and two fish, and that's all there is. But church, with Jesus, that turns out to be enough. Part of what we see in this story is that when we follow Jesus, he's going to call us to do hard things. He's going to call us to serve in ways that require faith. He's going to call us to love people who are hard to love. He's going to call us to, to be generous in ways that are going to stretch us. He's going to call us to share our faith when we feel like we don't have the words to do so. And for these disciples, he's calling them to feed 5,000 people, and they don't even have food for themselves. But look at what Jesus does, church. It says in verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now friends, probably a lot of us have heard this story like a hundred times before, in, in sermons or Sunday school or vacation Bible school, but hopefully that doesn't take the wonder out of what is happening right here. Think about this. Jesus made food from nothing. He just kept dividing up the bread over and over again, making more and more of it. What a display of Jesus' power and his divinity. He just spoke food into existence. Like he spoke the universe into existence. This is a Jesus who has unrivaled power to meet people's needs. And this is the Jesus who invites us to use our small efforts and is able to use those small efforts in order to accomplish much good in this world. He, he can take just this little offering from this boy and he feeds thousands with it. What confidence this should give us to follow Jesus. We just finished our, our four-part series on the church last month, and we spent a lot of time talking about this, this call on our lives to love one another and to serve one another and to serve the community around us, and th that's what it means to follow Jesus, right? 
And, and isn't it exciting to know what Jesus is able to accomplish through our service? Church, we should be bold. We should be a generous church. We should, we should serve, and, and not because we have a lot to offer, but because we offer it to Jesus. And we know what Jesus can do. Now church, before we continue, let me clarify that the main point of this passage is not that if we step out in faith, every time something amazing is gonna happen. The real meaning behind this miracle is actually something much more inspiring than that. And this leads us to point two, which is the meaning of the bread. In verse 15, the crowd responded to the miracle um, by deciding that they were gonna try to make Jesus king. Now, this is actually a pretty understandable reaction uh, in this situation. The, 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 the Jewish people of that day were under the oppressive rule of the Romans, and here is Jesus, who is a Jew, and, and he's demonstrating great power and authority, and, and he's obviously being followed by thousands of people already, and he's concerned for the well-being of the oppressed, and so, so, and he can just speak things into existence, right? And so they're thinking, maybe we can make Jesus king, and we can reestablish Israel's power once again. And so these crowds, they are excited about Jesus, because they think that he's going to give them something that he wants, or that they want. And so they're excited about the bread that Christ gave them, and they want even more from him. They want freedom from the Romans, they want more bread, they want return of power. But as we continue through John 6, we see that this way of thinking actually misses the bigger point of the miracle. It misses who Jesus is and what he came to offer us. And later in the story, Jesus actually clarifies this. In verses 25 through 36, and you can, you can turn there in your Bibles, but the, in, in this part of the, the story, the crowds have they've tracked Jesus down again, and they're, they're still excited about this miraculous bread that Jesus has offered, and, and they're looking for more miracles from Jesus. And it's in these interactions that Jesus explains what this miracle is really about. So again, please turn with me to, to John 6 and, and read this interaction that Jesus has with the crowds, beginning in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This past week, I was in California on vacation, visiting several different national parks. And before I left, I, I bought this pass, and the pass is called America the Beautiful. I don't know if you, any of you have, have this pass, but what this pass does is, is it gives you access to all the national parks throughout our country. Um, I love this pass. One of, one of my goals uh, before I die is to make it to all 63 national parks in our country. I've made it to eight so far, so I've got, I've got a long way to go, but, but I'm, I'm gonna get there, and this pass is gonna help me get there. Um, I, here's the thing, though. I love this pass, but the only reason that I care about this pass is because it gets me into the park. Once I'm in the park, I just stuff that pass in my bag and it's forgotten about. Next year, I, I plan on going to Colorado, and I'm probably just gonna have to buy another pass because I'm sure I've, I've lost it by that point. But, but I'll buy it again because I love that pass that much. But here's the thing. The only reason I love this pass is because it gets me into the park and up to the highest mountain so I can climb to the top of it, right? I love this pass, but only because it gets me into the parks, which is what I really love. And oftentimes, in, in stories in Scripture, like here in John 6, and oftentimes in our own lives as well, we see ourselves relating to Jesus kind of like how I relate to this park pass. He's, he's useful and desirable because there's something else that we want from him. But in the verses that we just read, Jesus says the real purpose of this miracle was not simply to satisfy the crowds with bread that would temporarily relieve their hunger. Jesus is not a means to an end. The, the true purpose of the bread was to point to the fact that Jesus himself is the one who satisfies. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What a promise that is, church. But what does that mean? What is the bread of life that he's speaking of? Well, bread was a, a powerful symbol uh, throughout Israel's history. In verses 31, Jesus mentions the time that, that God brought bread down in the form of manna to feed the nation of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. Bread was what sustained them. It's what kept them alive. And without it, they had no hope for life. But the problem with that bread was that it went bad every day. So every day they had to recollect that bread again, otherwise they would perish. But Jesus says, the bread that I'm giving you is the bread of eternal life, meaning it never spoils. It never goes bad. In fact, Jesus says that those who eat this bread will never go hungry. Those who believe in this bread that Jesus is offering will never again thirst. Now here, Jesus is clearly speaking not, not in physical terms, right? And there's probably some of us who are hungry here right now thinking about what they're gonna have for lunch. Right? Jesus is talking about something far more important than that. He's not talking about bread that you eat, but then you just get hungry again. 
He's talking about a bread that leads to eternal life. And this eternal life he's speaking of, it's, it's not, it doesn't just mean life that goes on forever. It does, of course, mean that, but it also means a better life. He's talking about a quality of life that is so much better than anything that this world has to offer. When, when you think about it, eternal life, just on its own, is not actually that attractive of a thing, right? And we, we see movies like, like Indiana Jones or, or others where these people are scrambling to, to find the, the Holy Grail, right, so they can, they can live forever. But is that really what you would want? I mean, eternal life, at least as this world knows it, does not actually seem to be that wonderful of a thing, right? This world as we know it, it is filled with frustration and discouragement and sorrow. Why would you want an eternity of that? Even the best things in this life leave you wanting, right? The, the best marriages, the best physical health, the best careers, the best experiences, the highest mountaintops. We're always looking to those things to be the key to unlock the life that we really want, right? But even for the few of us who, who are fortunate enough to, to taste a few of those things every now and then, we never find them to, on their own, be truly satisfying. Even the best things in this life, they leave you wanting. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christian, I, th- I think says this so profoundly. He says, most people, if they really learn to look into their own hearts, would know that they want, and want accurately, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer, that, that, that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Church, the bread that Jesus offers is better than anything else in this world. And the bread that Jesus offers is not only the bread of eternal life, but it's a bread that is eternally satisfying. And it is satisfying beyond anything else that this world has to offer. And here's the thing, church. Here's here's the main thing that Jesus is getting at in this miracle. Jesus didn't just come to give us that bread. Jesus is that bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is not the key to a better life. He is that better life, church. He's not a pass that gets you to where you really want to go, right? Because you throw out passes when you get there, right? If all Jesus is to us is a means to get to our best life, then we're gonna lose out on that life because he is that better life. Jesus did not come down from heaven to give you that dream job or give you that perfect marriage or give you a comfortable, prosperous life. He came to give you something so much better than that. Joy, peace, rest, glory is found in Christ alone. It's found in knowing Christ. It's found in friendship with Christ. It's found in personal relationship with Christ. 
He is that life that we seek. And, and, and it's, not just, it's not just a better life in the future, it's a better life now, church. This morning, this week, Jesus invites you to partake in that bread now. And it's abundant, and it's free. And church, this is what sets our faith apart from anything else in this world. Any other religion, any other philosophy, it's gonna say, this is what you have to do. This is what you, this is the life that you need to live in order to find that bread of life. But Jesus says, I'm that bread of life, and I brought that bread to you. He gave his life on the cross that we might eat and come and be satisfied, that we might believe in him and never thirst again. Jesus is the most satisfying reality in the world. And for those who know Christ, we know this to be true. And so our goal this week should be to enjoy him, to believe with all of our hearts that he is that bread of life and to be satisfied in that bread. Don't you love that that's what Jesus calls us to do? To come to him and be satisfied. That's his heart for us. But as we return to our story, we don't also forget the the needs of the 5,000 and the compassion that Christ had on them and the desire that Jesus had for his disciples to help him in meeting those needs. See, church, we, we can't be a church that just enjoys Jesus. We must also be a church that joins Jesus in serving those around us. Could Jesus have fed those 5,000 without the help of the disciples and that little boy? Of course he could, right? He spoke the universe into existence, right? He could do whatever he wants. But that's not how God operates, right? God's mission to care for those in need always involves deploying his people, his church, to do so. Which means, church, that if you're a follower of Jesus, the call on your life is to be satisfied in him and then join him in serving others. And this is where I want to end here this morning, in point three, with the reason that we serve. Just as in our story in John 6, the world around us is filled with need, right? Turn on your TVs, look at the news for five minutes, you'll see it. Spend time really getting to know your coworkers, and you're going to see it. Spend time here with us at this church, you're going to see it. Examine the circumstances of your own life. There is need all around us. This crowd of 5,000 hungry people, it's a picture of our own lives, in our own families, in our own cities, in our own church. It's, It's not hard to see that there is need all around us. But what is hard, often, is is finding the ambition and the confidence to seek to meet those needs. See, usually our confidence comes when we feel like we have something good to offer, right? And our, our confidence is lowest when we feel inadequate, or that we have only something small to give. And I think that this is most often true when it comes to following Jesus and laying our lives down to serve others. But the wonderful truth of this story is that when we serve Christ, 
there's not necessarily a correlation between our resources and the impact that we can have. Again, think about that boy and his five loaves and two fish. It was so little, but God really is able to use our efforts, small as they may be, to accomplish much good, and he loves to do this. And this has been such an encouragement to me personally over these past several months. I don't know about you, but I, I don't walk through life just feeling confident that I'm going to be a blessing to others around me. When I seek to share the gospel with my neighbors, I'm nervous. I feel like I say dumb things. When I come to the doors on Sunday morning, I often feel discouraged about what I have to offer. Whether it's the sermon that I've prepared, or whether it's a, a conversation I had with someone that, that I felt was awkward. Sometimes I just walk into church on Sunday morning just hoping that people are gonna want to be my friend. You know, I'm, I'm not a confident person. I see lots of needs around me, and I know that Christ calls me to be a part of meeting that needs, but I feel inadequate. I, I feel so much like this boy in this story. I, all I have is two fish and five loaves of bread, and it's not even the good type of bread. It's barley bread. But the truth is, is much fuller than that. And this story of John 6 has helped me to see that much fuller truth. And that's that when I give myself to serving those around me, I do so with five loaves, two fish, and Jesus. The all-powerful, all-satisfying God of the universe who loves to use weak disciples to accomplish great things in this world. And, and I love this because it kind of takes the pressure off of me, right? I love that my usefulness to God, it rests in His power and His desire to bless this world. And I don't know if this is super cheesy or not, but I've made a habit these past several months when I walk in the door on Sunday mornings, I whisper under my breath, five loaves, two fish, and Jesus. I was telling Joel about this, we were going on a walk and I was telling Joel about this and I was just talking to Joel about my insecurities and how God's been meeting me in John 6. And he says, dude, that's how I feel too. Like I experienced the same thing. We, we were joking, we should, we should make that phrase into a t-shirt, right? Because that's what we need. We need all, and, and it's not just myself and Joel, right? I think that most of us, when we come to church, when we go to work, when we seek to serve those around us, we are filled with insecurities, right? Because we accurately know that we don't have that much. But church, we have Jesus. That's why we serve. Like, that's why we seek to welcome new people when they walk in the doors on Sunday morning. That's why we serve on the worship team. That's why we put signs up on Saturday afternoons. That's why we have a lyrics team. That's why we serve in Redeemer Kids. It's why we share the gospel with our neighbors. It's, it's why we seek to find ways to serve in our communities. It's because we believe that Jesus is the most satisfying thing in the world and he takes our small efforts and he changes lives. He really does that, church. And think about how he's been doing that for these past several years. 
Think of all those who have come in to our church and have, have come to know Christ for the first time. Think of the years of us enjoying singing praises to Christ together. Think of broken marriages that have found strength or the lonely people that have found community. Think of the young minds who have had gospel seeds planted and those, and those seeds are going to bear fruit and young men and women are going to, to raise up and know Christ and follow Christ. This is, this is the mission that we're on, church. And the mission isn't over yet. Right? A little over three years ago, we, we planned this church with, with ambition and hearts to serve and God is calling us this morning to continue on that mission and to do so with even more ambition. Right? Even if all we have is five loaves and two fish. Because here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to take those small acts of service and he's going to make his name great. And that's what this is really all about. See, what we don't want to do here, we don't want to get distracted by whether or not our acts of service in the end produce something marvelous, right? That would be missing the point. I mean, I, I love that in this story, uh, that boy's name is not even mentioned, right? I mean, he served Christ, thousands of people were miraculously fed, and then he just kind of slips away into obscurity, right? That's because the story of John is not about us. The point of the story is not that we do great things, it's that Jesus is the great thing. The hero of the story is not the boy, it's not the disciples, it's Jesus. And the story is about Jesus who can take small offerings and do great things with them. And the really great thing that Christ does is that he shows himself to be the one who satisfies. The whole point is that Jesus is what we really need most in this life. Jesus is what we need when we come in the doors on Sunday mornings. It is Jesus that our neighbors and our families and our city needs. There is, there's never been and there will never be anyone like him. His power, his glory, his ability to satisfy, it is unmatched in this universe, church. There is no greater, more glorious, more satisfying reality than Christ. And all we might have is a couple of loaves and a few fish, but we have this Jesus church. And of course, of course, this is only exciting to us, right, if it's our ambition in life for Jesus to be seen as that greatest thing. If our ambition is anything other than that, we're going to be disappointed. We're going to be prideful when we serve. Or we're going to be discouraged when we serve. We're going to fight one another to be better than one another, right? But if we love Jesus above anything else, and if our ambition is to make his name great in this world, then we're going to be satisfied. And we're going to be excited to be a part of what God is doing through his church. And by his great kindness, he is going to accomplish much through our lives. He's on a mission in this world, church. And he's going to accomplish that mission, and he doesn't need us, right? Jesus spoke the universe into existence. He doesn't need us to accomplish his mission. His call for us to join him in ministry and service and care for those around us, it's not based on, our, on his need for our participation. It's his grace 
that He gives us the privilege of joining Him in what He's doing in this world. And it's, his, and it's His grace that He is faithful to meet our needs when we do so. I love this last little detail in this story where, where after all the people had been fed, Jesus tells His disciples to gather up any leftovers. And in verse 13 it says, So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Twelve baskets. Why twelve baskets? It's for the twelve disciples who are serving. The whole point of this is Jesus is saying, follow me, give your life to service, and I will provide for you as well. Jesus is saying, you're not going to outgive me, church. Like, when you spend your life for others, you too will be satisfied by Christ. And church, we need to hear this. Because, because we, often, we often hold back. We don't serve, we don't give of ourselves because we're afraid that we are insufficient. We're afraid that we will lose out on better things if we give too much. If, if, we, if we lay our lives down in service to others, then, then maybe we are gonna be left wanting ourselves. But that's not how service to Jesus works. The truth is that when we serve God he satisfies us as well. It's such grace. It's grace that he calls us to follow him. It's grace that he calls us to join him in serving others. It's grace that we find that we ourselves will be satisfied when we do so. It's all his grace, church. When we walk in the doors on Sunday morning, when we, when we serve in Redeemer Kids, when we seek to share our testimony with those at work, when we find ways to serve our neighbors, when you, when you give yourself to loving your spouse, you might not think you have much to offer them. But think about whose hands hold those offerings. Our confidence, our joy in our service is that we have five loaves, two fish, and the most powerful, satisfying reality in the universe, Jesus. He's on a mission, and he invites us to be with him on that mission. So let's be with him on that mission, church. Let me pray.